the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona, this is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. YPG Combat Systems Branch Chief Marco Nixon is a human native and civil engineer who found an entirely different world of engineering, conducting developmental testing of the Army's most cutting-edge vehicles. Why is it important to test military vehicles in a natural environment? It's important because there's a lot of different things that we see out in the desert that you're not going to see in other places. For example, the dust intrusion, the heat has a big impact on different parts of the vehicle, different systems. The wear and tear on our courses as far as small gravel, things like that, they, that make it into, let's say, track, even wheeled systems. And those things have a big impact, especially when it's 110 degrees outside. And they're all combined together in addition to the terrain roughnesses that we see out here on some, a lot of our mobility uh, cross-country courses. And we'll get vehicle systems that come from other test facilities within ATEC, and they haven't seen failures they get to YPG, they spend a week here, and you might have multiple things fail or one major component, and then it's like, you know, project manager's like, what happened? Well, there's different, that's why you test at different facilities, and, and that's one of the things about YPG that's unique is that extreme environment really, it really puts those systems through, through a stress that they don't see other places. And we have hundreds of miles of road courses out here. <clears throat> Uh, we have approximately about 200 miles of survey courses. And some of these are extremely rough, unimproved desert roads. If you look at our courses, like the Middle East course is uh, one of our toughest courses. It's a cross-country course. It's got a lot of slope, a lot of variation. It's got washboards on the back end. And it puts a vehicle through a lot of different forces, a lot of different turns. So you're testing the system really well. Our hilly courses on the patent side for the wheel and the, the track vehicles they have up to about 30% slopes on some of them, so you're testing those transmissions heavily and other parts of the vehicle. So, yeah, yeah, we have some very rough terrain. Now, you said about those <laughs> slopes. If you're driving on an interstate highway in this country, the steepest slope you're ever going to find is 6%. You're talking about something five times steeper than that. Yeah, let's stay on the backside. And so you're going up that vehicle, let's say in a jail TV, you're inducing a lot of stress on that vehicle powertrain and then when it goes over then it's going to go through more hills and more turns so yeah and, and that's the thing about it there's that's why we have different terrain profiles from your primary which is your asphalt hardball up to the cross country we're talking about and you're examining a lot of different aspects of these vehicles up to and including like the engine fluids yeah it depends it depends on what the uh what the customer what the what will be what's negotiated with is it a full vehicle up system test where we're testing the whole vehicle or is it just a specific component is it a road wheel is it a, a transmission a new cooling system uh, a new engine a new you know so it depends on what we do but we'll do from you know subsystems to the whole system during the first gulf war I've been told that the, the life expectancy of the track on an M1 tank was measured in the hundreds of miles. As a result of testing it done at Yuma Proving Ground, it's now thousands of miles. Yeah, I know that, and this goes with that, with, with, with the track on the M1. Bradley's now we have new tracks that are coming out to test lighter weight or composite. And then even with things like uh, the hub assemblies, road wheels, things like that. So all that 
and the and the customers are always looking at how they can make things a little lighter, but at the same time keep that life that life uh, cycle of the actual systems. You're from Yuma, correct? Had you how aware were you of YPG when you were growing up here? Uh, growing up, I I had heard of YPG and commercials. Maybe if you go to the fair, you see the stand or something, but never knew what was done out here. And it wasn't until I actually started working out here that I saw what YPG is about. Yeah, yeah. growing up, I didn't know. Yeah. And your background civil engineering. Correct, correct, yeah. Did civil engineering for about, yeah, basically when I graduated college, so I came out here for about six and a half, seven years. I mean, did you have any conception of the kind of work you'd be doing out here? None at all. None at all. I mean, I mean one time at work, the owner of, of CORE, Doug, he, he mentioned it one time, oh, you know, because we had talked, there were maybe some getting some work out here and, but it was more talking about the uh, public work side of the house, not what the test mission was. So even then, I still didn't, you know, understand. what. Until I got out here, I didn't understand what we did. I mean, you've been here 12, 13 years now? Correct. In December, it'll be 13 years. So you must get some satisfaction out of the work. Yeah, it, that's one of the things that when you, you know, when you start out here as a test officer, the the uh, one of the things I've always liked about it is the tempo. You know, you could be in the office one day, um, in the field for a couple of days, and you're maybe working on reports, you're working with this, uh, you have tests. Also, there's a lot of different things that go on, and there's interactions with various folks that you're working with. So there's not too much time where you're just sitting around. You're always busy, and as busy as you want to be, too. And when you started here, I know 2011, we set the record for most direct labor hours. It was 2.8 million direct labor hours, and ground combat vehicles is over a million labor hours of that. No, I remember that. I, I came in right when we were very, very busy with Stryker and then MRAP. And I was, I think it was back-to-back years, a million man hours, and the whole division was just working night. It was just nonstop. It was weekends. It was working double shifts. But there was just there was tons of work coming our way. So The last five years or so, YPG's been at the forefront of the Army leadership's awareness. I'm thinking of things like Project Convergence 2020, Project Convergence 2021. You know, in the last five years, it's been a shift. We've gone to really working with Army modernization priorities. Now that we have the Army Futures Command um, in Austin, we're working really with, we're uh, tracking CFTs. And so that work has been coming to you most steadily as far as the different CFTs, like the uh, the ARCA mission and then the NGCV that we cover. And so we've seen it on our side as they come in little by little. Now we're getting bigger. But a lot of it's also maybe not CFTs, but they're oversight programs that are being watched heavily, you know, at the OSD level. But uh, we, we've been pretty busy in our in our division uh, really supporting this this new priorities. Marco Nixon, is really good talking with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Welcome. I'm your host, Anna Henderson. Durrid Francher is known as the safety guy at Yuma Proving Ground. His role as the YPG Explosive Safety Manager requires him to analyze and recommend safety procedures. So his hobby of sewing might surprise some. Durrid joins me to tell us how sewing has opened up a world of opportunities for him. Welcome, Durrid. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me here. Before we get into your skill of sewing, tell me a bit about your career here at YPG. You started back in 1999. Yes, I started back in 1999 as a demolition tech with the old EC3 contract. I worked for them for 12 years. I took over as a supervisor in 2001, and I stayed there until 2011. 
as the demo chief. So I know the range real well. I know what's out there. In 2011, I applied for a job as the explosive safety manager for YPG, and I was accepted, and I've been doing that. My job primarily is to look at all explosive operations to make sure everything is done in a safe manner so nobody gets hurt. That's our key. Nobody gets hurt, and we don't damage equipment or any of this other stuff. In addition, I also track accidents and anything else that the government decides needs to be taken care of. <laughs> I've sat in those meetings with you, and I know when it comes to explosives, you ask all the right questions. And then when I learned that you knew how to sew, I just could not figure out how the two connected. Tell me, you learned to sew from your mom. How did that come about? Well, my mom, uh, she taught all of us, all of us kids, there was five of us, that we may or may not marry somebody who knows how to sew. So she taught us making quilts and then eventually making clothes. And I've been doing it ever since. Uh, I was eight years old. When I first joined the military, I basically quit sewing. Uh, I did my own patches and my own stuff for my uniforms, but it wasn't until I got married. And honestly, when I had a daughter that I really got back into sewing because I made costumes and I made clothes for my daughter and clothes for the babies when they were first born and crib sets. So I have to ask you, did you marry a woman who gasp? Did not know how to sew. No, she does not know how to sew. <laughs> uh, she has tried, uh, but she admits that she does not like sewing. <laughs> she does not mind cutting out all the uh, material. And so, and then I put it together, which saves a lot of time when I'm making clothes and making quilts and stuff. So your family, as you mentioned before, has benefited from your skills of sewing. You mentioned the crib sets and then also just the clothing. Tell me a little bit about what you've made for your family. I make crib sets when they were babies, uh, and this is the old style where it's a blanket, sheet, and the, the bumper pads that went around them, including the headboard and footboard, and a blanket and a pillow. I've made burp rags. As you know, burp rags are kind of small, so we modified our own burp rags to make them big enough for the kids, and also bibs. We made our own bibs, expanded them out so that they it doesn't choke them. <laughs> and, That's important. Yes, especially for kids. They get ornery sometimes. <laughs> and also... Most of my kids are a little larger than the, than the norm for their age group. So we had problems finding clothes for some of them. So we made our own and then we modify them to, to fit them. My daughter's problem, of all my kids, my daughter and my wife have benefited the most from my sewing. Uh, my daughter is kind of tall and she's had problems finding clothes. So she comes up and says, Dad, I want this and I need this. And so I make it. My wife, she's very particular about her clothes. Mary likes She'll, have, she'll see a pattern or she'll see a something in a magazine and says, I like this, but I want this sleeve, this collar, and so we make them for it. Now your grandkids are also benefiting from this. Yes, I'm making them clothes, I make them pajama sets, and then my granddaughter, and my daughter did the same thing. She wants clothes for her dollies. <laughs> My granddaughter wanted clothes for her uh, bear, so she has a matching outfit for her bear to match one of her pajama sets. That is the sweetest thing. They're fortunate to have you to do that for them. What would you say is like your favorite thing that you've sewn for one of your family members? I mean, I enjoy making everything because uh, to me, sewing is relaxing. I, it, I can sit there, I can concentrate on sewing and forget about everything else, and I enjoy it. One of them would be the wedding dress that I made for my daughter-in-law. It's a full-length wedding dress, laced with a lace overlay, and a coat that went over top of it with a hood. And it was 100% all her design. She said, I want, it, I want this, this. She picked the material, she picked the lace, 
and we made the dress she wanted. So she got exactly what she wanted. And then for my son, I made a matching vest, and then we made her bouquet and her flowers. What was her reaction when you were able to make that happen? She was very, very happy with it. And her sister, I think, liked it also. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done work for your family just on a personal level. You've also put some of your work on show or in a show. When I was in Hawaii, my daughter went into uh, dancing. That's when she first started ballet. During one of the presentations, uh, they came up with a costume that all the kids had to wear. Well, I was an E6, E7 back then, and the costume was $70. And this was back in 1980, about 85, 86, no, 96. And I just didn't want to spend that much money, so they let me look at one of the costumes. And so I, in turn, took that costume and then made our own costume. We made her a costume that was better, and it didn't scratch, as my daughter said, for about $12. Very so nice. I started that, and then when I made that, the other parents were like, well, can you make this for our kids too? And then Sabrina Starr, who was the dance instructor, she went and ran for the Miss Hawaii pageant, and she asked me if I could make a dress for her. So we made a dress for her. So you made a formal gown for formal her gown. to compete in the pageant? Correct. I mean, these are all kind of like high-stake things, wedding dresses, pageant dresses, performance dresses. Doesn't that make you a bit nervous? No, because it, to me, it's just a, uh, something I can make. You asked earlier about most memorable ones I had. The one I liked the best, and you reminded me of a dress I made for a young lady when I was in Dugway, Utah. Uh, she had a skin disease that just touching her skin caused huge bruises and the prognosis wasn't good. Well, as she was getting older, they wanted a temple dress for her. So we made a temple dress out of silk and it was lined with silk and outside and it went all the way down her hands to cover up all of her skin because being out in the sun could cause problems. So we made that for her and uh, she was very appreciative and her parents were very appreciative of it. But it was, to me, that's the type of stuff I enjoy doing. It's I don't think of it as being um, stressful. To me, it's fun. It was great hearing about all of the memorable outfits you've made for people that are performing and also the sentimental things you made for your family, like the crib sets and things that your family's gonna maybe pass it down to their children as well. So again, Durid, thank you for your time and thank you for all the work you do at YPG. Thank you. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.